0: Good morning. good morning, so good to see all of you uh, this morning. I just love this video, don't you? It's my, I mean, it has so much energy in it. And uh, it's like pictures and uh, and videos all from church life here in uh, Hilversum. And then, of course, Huizen and Delft even. It's great. Um, the only thing that's missing is Paris, but I'm sure in the next video we'll make, we'll have Paris in there as well. But I'm, I'm so excited about today, uh, this one life series about living um, our life well and representing the Lord well in in the world that we live in, and that's really what this series is about. It's about you know just being a disciple, a true follower of Jesus. And today we're going to be speaking about a very important topic, and that is about love and relationships. And um, you know you're wondering why would you have a, a, a message on love and relationships in a series on discipleship? Isn't discipleship all about our spiritual life? Yes, it is. But our spiritual life and our physical life, they're intertwined. They belong together. And that's why, you know, we do want to touch on this very important uh, subject um, as, as well. So um, when you think about love and relationships and sex, are you even allowed to say that in church? You're thinking about the book of Solomon, like the Song of Solomon, right? Everybody read that? Yeah. Okay, Song of Solomon. You would think about that, um, and it speaks a lot about, you know, it has some like some spicy details in the book in the Song of Solomon. And um, interestingly, you know, when you think about Hollywood and when you think about movies today, there's a lot of spicy details as well. And uh, for some of you who watched um, Fifty Shades of Grey, which you probably shouldn't have watched, (laughs) you better unwatch that one. Um, but it has a lot of spicy details as well but the problem with you know what Hollywood does is actually they they create the wrong context for something that is so powerful and that is so much a God-given gift to us which is sexuality that's just something that's supposed to be in a monogamous marriage from one man and one woman that's really how God designed it to be and and, but the thing is Hollywood kind of makes it something common, something that kind of like just happens everywhere, basically. And and so the Bible, uh, the Word of God, has a great, uh, very powerful answer to what society actually has made of something that is so beautiful, that is a God-given gift to uh, to us. So I, b- I believe, based on the Word of God, that sexuality, that sex is supposed to happen in a monogamous relationship between one man and one woman, and who basically pledge their allegiance to one another who pledge their loyalty to one another that's really where sexuality belongs but our society makes us believe otherwise i mean just anywhere where you go it's like agendas that kind of try to destroy the the power of 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 a marriage between one man and one woman the power of of being a family um culture around us tries to destroy that in fact, even in, in primary schools, you see that there is, there is an agenda that sometimes pops up where, um, where kids are made to believe otherwise. That other types of relationships are also, um, you know, okay with, with God or okay uh, to have. However, when you go to the Bible, it, it paints a different picture. Um, and there's different approaches you could have here you know, with with the word of God. And there's a couple of really um, scriptures that are pretty clear about um, relationships and and sexuality that doesn't happen between one man and one woman uh, that are in a committed relationship together. And the problem is that what happens is that that when we talk about those topics, when we talk about these sensitive topics, that... um, you know, even within the church, people have different opinions, different thoughts. Um, and and they, they sometimes come up with their own explanations. It's like, well, you know, I believe this about that. And I believe this about, you know, sex and marriage and, and so on. And there, it's because we have different filters, right? So um, if you were to have a first century Jewish filter, which the, the biblical authors would have had, um, you know, it's totally different than um, like a 21st century um, filter that many of us have, you know, and we're, you know, it's like those filters haven't been challenged by, um, by, by the Bible. Uh, and there's other filters you could have. You could have a Calvinistic or a Roman Catholic filter. You could have an evangelical filter. There's so many filters you could have when you approached the biblical text. And that's when you have those scriptures both in the old testament and the new testament they create a lot of discussion in the church so what i'm trying to do this morning is not to go into those type of scriptures because i don't i'm not looking for any arguments or or or, you know um like um like a um hot-headed discussions with people about this what i want to do is actually want to go back to the first chapters of the bible and and look at the initial picture that God painted of how relationships need to flow, how relationships need to happen, happen the way how God intended it to be. You, you get my point here, right? And that's really important because you know I I, I truly believe that if God is a God who uh, who created us, who is real and who loves us, um, you know He knows what's what's the best for us, right? Um, and you know most of the time as I don't know. Um, many times, you know, when some, like when a company creates a car or or a television set or whatever, there's usually this thing that's called a manual. All all the all the women say yes. Right? All the men say, "What's that?" <laughs> that's how you know. When I get a new television set, of course I'm not gonna watch the manual because. Until you find out it's actually more difficult these days to set up your television set. You do need the manual these days. And my wife gets upset with me when that happens. Sorry, honey. But if God created us, he certainly knows what's, what's best for us, right? Right? So, so that's why I want to go back to those first chapters in, in the book of Genesis. Because they, they basically it basically paints this picture of wholeness of a relationship between a man and a woman that is the way how God intended it to be there's wholeness there's shalom there's peace in that relationship until chapter three comes around the corner right when man and when when Adam and Eve sinned and rebelled against the Lord but those first two chapters they paint a picture of wholeness so let's go back to the beginning, and that's actually Genesis chapter 1 and 2. I want to read just a couple of verses from there. Um, and um, you know, the word Genesis actually means the beginnings. So it's actually a book about the beginnings in, in, in the Bible. So let's pray. Father, we come to you. As we open your word, God, we want to understand your heart. We want to hear your heart. Because, God, you're not in here to... to, to um, God, what you want to do is you want to actually present a picture of wholeness to us. There's, there's no condemnation. God, if we made mistakes, if we made wrong decisions in, in relationships and sexuality, God, Lord, you want to bring us to a place of wholeness where you restore the things that have been broken in our lives, God. And Father, we pray, Lord, that you would touch us, that you would speak to our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Thus far, we read, for now. Well, I'm thinking about this passage, and I'm like, I'm zooming in automatically on the, you know, having dominion over the the animals and stuff like that. I'm thinking about our dog. But it's actually not the point of today's message, right? We need to learn to have dominion over this dog. You know, it's 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 a battle. As some of you who are dog owners, you know what I'm talking about, right? It's always a battle. But that's not what we're going to be zooming in on. We're going to be zooming in on the relationship part here between man and woman. God's original design here, as God painted it here in this picture, in, in this in this part of the Bible. So we're created in God's image. We're created to be his image. So we reflect the Lord. If, if, if you're an image, if you look in the mirror, you see an image of yourself, right? And God here, he creates mankind in his image. So we're basically mirroring who, G, who Jesus is, who God is, and then here on earth, in the earthly realm. So through us... And this is true for both uh, believer and non-believer. We're supposed to image him to represent him well in the earth. And that's why it's so important to bring people that are far from God into a relationship with God so that they represent him well. That's what God wants. That's what he wants to do. In other words, we're, we're created image, 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 we bear his image in this world. And what's so interesting in this passage here is that he created mankind male and female. Here's something that could be a newsflash for some of us. Men and women, they're different. I think that's pretty easy to, to, to see. Not just to see, but also our character, our, you know, our whole lives. We're just different. But at the same time, we're equals. You know, and I love it how how, how at the beginning of the Bible, God already says this, you know, that you already see it in his word that, Male and female were both created in his image. It's not like males are, are created more in God's image than females are. No. We're created equal, yet different. Pretty cool to see that here. And through their sexual union, they could multiply and fill the whole earth and bring Yahweh's influence, God's influence, everywhere. Now here, this is a really... Interesting idea because when you go to Genesis chapter eleven, you see here that that all of humanity is 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 decluttered in one place in a place called Babel. They have this city state that's like developed here, and, and there's hierarchy, and you know um, some humans are are are, are trying to um, to be better than others, you know, like be higher in the hierarchy than other humans, and they they try to actually twist God, God's arm in this whole process, and then um, they get sent out over the whole world will by the lord because he's like no no no, you shouldn't be in one place the initial calling that i gave to you is to actually uh, you know spread out over the whole earth bring my influence everywhere because what, what happened at the beginning is that god you know creates humankind he creates male and female he puts them in this garden of eden so so they're they're, they're placed in this perfect place and they're called to actually expand the borders of eden so that at one point it will fill the whole earth but it needs to you know they need to multiply in order to make this happen because the earth is just a little bigger than maybe adam and eve would have thought it would be but they need to spread out and and here you see in, in Genesis 11 that there's, they're spread out by the Lord by, by confusing their language because they weren't doing what they were supposed to bof, do from the beginning of time. God wants humanity to spread out, to bring his influence everywhere, to make sure that we represent him well everywhere where we go as humans. And Of course, we mess it up big time. But back here in Genesis chapter, chapter 1, where you see the story of Adam and Eve who, uh, you know, who called to multiply. In this story, there is no space for other types of relationships. So like one man or multi- and multiple women, you know, that, that's what happened in biblical times. You know, Solomon was a great example of that, or bad example of that. You should, should call it like that. There's no space for a male-male relationship. There's no space for a female-female relationship for whatever else they may invent there's no space for that it's just there there's no there's no schema for that because there cannot be a a relationship like that cannot be fruitful and it cannot multiply multiply because god created sex for for humanity to enjoy there's nothing wrong with enjoying it this gift however there is always a um You know, there's always a second goal that God has with that, and that is that humanity is fruitful and multiplies itself. Those things are tied together here. So there's no room for other types of relationships here in Genesis chapter 1 because they don't reflect God's original intent for humanity. Fruitfulness and multiplication are biologically impossible in other types of relationships and, and also you would never be able to experience the wholeness that god has a, has 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 ordained for a relationship because you know god created male and female he blessed them that's the type of relationship that god blesses that god brings together and and wants to bless so that these people can be a blessing to the whole whole earth it's interesting to see how genesis chapter 2 closes this is right before the fall everything was still good at this point it says this therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh and the man and his wife are both naked and were not ashamed so it's it's one man and one woman who become one flesh adam and eve were naked and unashamed it, it speaks of innocence right this speaks of you know they don 't even they don 't even notice they they're naked you know of course it wasn't nine degrees like it was this morning here in the Netherlands. It was a bit better climate there, I suppose, probably a little more than like Singapore or something you know right better climate there they didn't notice they were naked until they, they they took of the fruit of the of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and then they, they finally saw that they were naked, and that 's what kind of messed everything up from that moment onwards there was a an innocence there was a wholeness in this relationship between Adam and Eve right up till this point a wholeness that God didn't only intend them to have but every single human being to have at any point in time in history that's God's desire for you and me God doesn't want to judge you for making mistakes in your sexual life or in your relationships. But what God does want is he wants you to experience the wholeness that he has in mind for you. He has good thoughts for you. He wants you to experience the wholeness that he has in mind for us. Interesting. So I wanted to paint this picture of you know, where, where kind of like marriage and sexuality and relationships kind of start because it's important to have this foundation. And, and now I want to make a, make a jump to the, the Song of Solomon, right? And I told you already that you can't compare this to Fifty Shades of Grey. So I want to I go to the Song of Solomon because it, it so powerfully paints a picture of what marriage between one man and one woman should look like. The problem with Song of Solomon is that it has those spicy little details there. And, uh, and Christians throughout the ages have felt uncomfortable with that. It's like, well, how can a book be in the Bible be about sex, you know? You can't really have that in the Bible, right? So what they do is they spiritualize it. They, they allegorize it. They make these allegories of, 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 of Christ and the church. The, the Song of Solomon is about Christ and the church. That's okay until you get to those spicy sexual details. You don't even want to go there in your mind, right? So there's nothing actually in the book of, uh, in the Song of Solomon that that suggests that this book is about Christ and the church. It is a, a very plain love story right here. It is a very, you know, it's, it's, it's just a love story. And I say just between quotes because actually because God created love and because God created sexuality and because God wants us to experience wholeness in our relationships, I believe that that's the reason why God actually put it in the Bible, why it's there. Because God cares about our sexuality. God cares about our lives. He cares about our relationships. Do you believe that with me? Right? So that's why it's in the Bible. And it's a beautiful gift, sexuality within, that belongs within the context of a monogamous marriage relationship between one man and, and one woman in which fidelity between the partners is central with God in the middle of that. So here's, just wanna give you a quick overview. How many of you read Song of Solomon? Okay, quite a few of you. There's different interpreters um bible scholars that look look at this book and um have different ideas about how many of the how many main characters are there There there's some that say hey it's just about solomon king solomon you know who has these hundreds of wives stored up in a harem harem how do you say that in english in in jerusalem and he's hunting down this one girl that he likes because she's pretty and, and, and there are just two main people here, main, main, main actors in the story. I believe otherwise. I believe there's three main, main players in the story. You have Solomon, King Solomon. You have this girl. But there's also a shepherd boy, a very poor shepherd boy that this girl is in love with. There's three main um, players in the story. Actually, I have this from Walter Kaiser. He's one of the main... Uh, scholars uh, Old Testament scholars out there um, you know with a brain that's about five times as big as mine um, and but he writes about it. he has this great very short book very inspiring book about uh, the book of, so- Song of Solomon is I can really recommend you read it it's easy to read so he says no 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 there's there's these three characters right here in the story and so what, what happens is that there's this one girl, this one boy, they're in love with one another. They want to have this relationship. They want to get married, you know, and, and they're just super excited about each other. The problem is that there's this king called Solomon who comes to town, sees this girl, and he basically sort of kidnaps her and brings her into his harem in, in Jerusalem, takes, takes her away from her life in Shulam, where she's from, takes her away from this relationship with this boy, and just brings her into Jerusalem, away from her foundation. And you're, you're, you know, it's interesting. How how would one, how would hundreds of women be okay with being part of a harem? I don't know. If you. You know, maybe with the numbers, you get lucky once, once a year. That's, that's about how far I'm going to go here, right? But think of all the other things, right? Think about the Gucci handbags and shoes and all these other amazing things that, that you can get if you're part of Solomon's harem. Because he has it all, man. He has it all. This poor shepherd boy has nothing. Just his love. Probably a bad breath. Because they didn't have toothpaste <laughs> there. I don't know. So you're thinking, why, why, why in the world, you know, would somebody choose to be part of a harem? I think there's a great reason why, they, why these women were okay to do it. It's because they had all these, you know, they had all the perfumes. They had all the wealth. They had all these things. You know, they were, you know, they were well taken care of, these ladies. Otherwise, they would have rebelled. But this one girl who fell in love with this young man. She is so much in love with this young man that even though she's taken away to, to, to Jerusalem to the harem and he sees she sees all the riches, all these other things that these women enjoy, and she even appreciates it herself. But she's like, no, 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 no. I don't want to be here. I don't, you know, Solomon is okay and all, but I don't want to. Ha- I don't want to be in a sexual relationship with him and and 300 other women or even more than that. I just want to go back to my boyfriend. It's the only place I want to be. She was committed. She was loyal to that relationship she had with that one boy in spite of all the cool things that Solomon had to offer to her. She can't let go of her love for this young man. And this young man can't put her out of his mind. And he's like, you know, I'm just going to wait. I know she's coming back. I know she's coming back for me. I don't know where she is, but she'll be back. I love Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verse 6 and 7. It says this. This is the, the young girl speaking. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is as strong as death. Jealousy is fierce as the grave. Its flashes are flashes of fire in the very flame of the Lord. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. If a man offered his for love all the wealth of his house, he will be utterly despised. Man, this, these are powerful words here. And I, I believe that there's five characteristics of love in a marriage the way God intended it to be right here so I want to I want to just briefly dive into those first one is this you know the text said set me as as a seal upon your heart set me as a seal upon your heart it's kind of like almost like a tattoo on your heart this love is intimate a seal was a way to identify yourself it's kind of like a qr code but then different It was equivalent to the very person that it represented. She bore the seal of her husband, of the shepherd boy. So it was on her heart. It was as close as to to her being, who she really was, as anything could be. It was a seal on her heart. This love is intimate, intimate. The second thing is, it says this, this love is strong as death. In other words, this love is intense. There's so much passion in that love that even death cannot separate those lovers. So intense and intimate, those two words. Now, the third thing, many waters cannot quench love. In other words, this, this love is indestructible. There's no amount of water that is enough to quench a love that, that God has planted, that God has placed in a marriage. You know, if, there's love, if God's love is there, no water can quench it. The fourth point if a man offered for love all the wealth of his house he would be utterly despised so this love is priceless i love this you know just think just think of this thing you know solomon he he offered he could offer anything he had to this one girl i mean wealth and you know beautiful palace to live in perfumes and all these other things that he had to offer for this, for this girl and for all the others. You know, he offered him the best of his world. Yet she, yet she declined it. Because this love is priceless. The love that she had for this boy was priceless. And, and, and you know, in the end, you see how, how this, the, the song of Solomon kind of ends. It's like this girl is, 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 goes back to her boyfriend. And basically, Solomon is there without the girl... Back in Jerusalem, she—he has to let her go because this love is so strong. Imagine this: the king of Israel. Just how do you say this in English? He on the spit. Sorry? Short end of the straw. That's right. He he gets the short end of the straw with his ball, with his ball. Thank you very much. There's no way he can win. In this case and that is so powerful because who wrote this book solomon so basically solomon is painting the picture of 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 a love that he couldn't buy he's painting a picture of how strong love is between his one shepherd boy and his girl and he's like he's he's testifying of that i lost the battle but hey these two are happy they belong together. They, they're committed to one another. They're, they're loyal to one another. And I couldn't get in between. Look how powerful this is. That's basically what he's writing in this book. Man, look at how cool this is. So this love is priceless. And then the fifth point, love's flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. In other words, you cannot escape from this love. Now, here's the cool thing about this one verse This one part of this verse there's only one place in the song of solomon where you actually see lord in small capitals in the whole book now we all know that when you see lord in small capitals in the english bible or the dutch bible that in hebrew it actually says yahweh y-h-w-h the personal name of the lord the personal name of god so so that's how intimate this is you know you see here that, you know, it's not a man-made fire. It's not a man-made love that, that is placed in this marriage. No, it's, it's God's love himself. God's at the center of it all. Yahweh is at the center of it all. Jesus is at the center of it all. It's, it's the fire of God himself in this relationship. And there's no way you can quench it. There's no way you can put it out. There's no way you can destroy this. It is powerful because God is there. That's how strong this is and if a couple protects this fire in their relationship there's nothing that will ever extinguish it but it's important that that they keep the lord at the center that they they live from loyalty to yahweh in this relationship i love i'm going to close and i love what song of solomon says in actually actually in chapter two my beloved is mine and i am his this, this girl, she describes one of the most beautiful and lasting relationships you could have in this life. And marriage is a gift from heaven. It's a gift from God which can lighten the burdens in our lives. It is characterized by love that's passionate, personal, priceless, persistent. It's a special gift from God that lovers, may fully experience when, when Yahweh is at the center of their relationship, when, when God is their king and savior in this relationship. As a Jewish proverb says, in marriage you share the burden so that they are half as heavy, and you share the joys so that they are twice as good. That's how it is. And Proverbs 18.22 says this, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Marriage is a gift, a precious gift, a holy gift from the Lord. As I was preparing for this message, I knew, you know, if there's one thing that characterizes our church, it's not only that we have a couple of amazing families and marriages in this church, we also have a lot of single people. And I know, I know single people tend to think because, you know, you often see this perfect picture of this Christian marriage and, you know, rose tinted glasses and everything. And yes, marriage is a gift from God. But I also believe that singleness can be a gift from God. Yes. The only time it's, it won't be a gift from God is when you constantly keep longing for a marriage keep longing for a relationship you keep chasing after it and becomes more important it also almost becomes your idol and it replaces god from being the king of your life that's when your singleness actually becomes a curse rather than a blessing becomes a curse rather than a gift i believe god can also give singleness as a gift just one great example is the apostle paul want to just quote this one passage, 1 Corinthians 7, verse 7. The Apostle Paul, who was single, said this, But I wish everyone were single. Wow. Did he really say that? Yes, he did. Just as I am. Yet each person has a special gift from God of one kind or another. In other words, he's saying, like, my singleness is a gift from God. It's actually God gives me strength to live this way. And I believe he wants to. So I say to those who aren't married or, and to widows, it is better to stay unmarried just as I am. But if they cannot control themselves, they should go ahead and marry. So the married people are the weak people, right? <laughs> it is better to marry than to burn with lust. Okay, so it's the, it's the best of two evils, right? That's <laughs> Anyway, you get the point here. Marriage is a gift from God. Singleness is a gift from God they're both a gift from God and it's not like you only become complete when you found your you know match made in heaven or whatever that one person that God has ordained for you you know that one out of seven billion people in this planet that is perfectly made for you you're only complete when you find that person well how am I going to find that person with COVID restriction and everything Your singleness is a gift from the Lord. Your marriage is a gift from the Lord. We gotta start looking at things from a different perspective, from a heavenly perspective. We cannot think as the world thinks, we cannot think as our flesh wants us to think. We need to live in our lives in loyalty to King Jesus. I, I, like i said before you know the best way to live our lives is to have yahweh to have jesus in the middle of our relationship for marriage if you if you want your relationship to be successful that's the only key that i can give to you you know make sure that jesus is your king personally and, and in your marriage relationship but the same is true for single people you know maybe not with a relationship but if jesus truly is your king if you really live your life devoted and submitted and loyal to Jesus, you can have the best life ever as a single person. Because you're no longer chasing after the wind. You're no longer chasing something that God maybe doesn't even want you to have. Or maybe he does. But it's better to live in the here and the now. And, and to say to the Lord, like, hey, Lord, whatever happens, whatever, no matter if that right person comes to me or not, I'm going to give my, live my life devoted to you. I'm going to live my life with Jesus on the throne of my life. Jesus as the king of my life. And I'm going to live the best life ever that way. And we said, that is the one thing God wants to do in our midst today. I don't know where you stand. Maybe you've messed up in relationships. Maybe... Maybe you've went through a terrible divorce and it was the way you think about it was your fault. You made a mistake and whatever and marriage dissolved, relationship dissolved. Maybe you've committed sexual sins. Maybe there's other things that, you know, you've done that you're not necessarily proud of. And you're like, you're carrying this stuff around. It's like a a backpack with 20 or 30 kilos, 60 pounds. Stones, heavy stones. You're like, how am I going to break free from this? And I believe that the Lord wants wholeness for you. The Lord wants He wants the Lord wants healing for you. He wants to set you free. But it all starts, you know, if you have this bag of stuff with you. You gotta untie it, unwrap it. And if you can't get to where the locks are, whatever, how you call that, ask somebody to help you get the straps off, right? Straps, I think that's the right word. And leave that bag, leave those burdens, leave those sins, everything that's holding you back, leave it at the cross. And walk in freedom. the Lord wants to do a deep work of restoration in our lives I believe the Lord wants to do a new thing healing in our lives just turn it over to him don't carry it around don't let your past condemn you anymore leave it at the cross Be free. And like Jesus said to this this woman who, you know, was in this adulterous sexual thing that happened, he said to her, go and sin no more. Leave it. Leave that stuff behind. And go after Jesus. Make him the king of your life. Make him the Lord of your life. And we just all stand in the presence of the Lord. can be up on the platform you know the situations you're you're wrestling with you know the pain that you're carrying around maybe from broken relationships you know the sins that you're carrying with you maybe secret sins whatever it is we're not here to condemn you we're here to present you to the lord to allow him to do a work of healing in your life so that you can walk in wholeness and restoration, right? That's what we're going to do right now. Maybe we could just lift our hands to heaven right now As as a sign of us being eager to receive healing and restoration and wholeness from the Lord. God, we come to you at this moment. Breathe on us, Holy Spirit. God's some of us, we may be carrying around backpacks filled with heavy rocks. It's hurting our backs, even. <laughs> Not just spiritually, but even physically. It's just big pressure on some of us, Lord. And, but God, you've called us to walk in freedom. You've called us to live in wholeness. And God, that's what you want for your people, Lord. God, you're not here to judge us or to condemn us, Lord. You're you're here to, to restore us, to give us life, life abundantly, Jesus. And God, I pray for every single person in this room. I pray for every marriage. I pray for every everyone who's here right now Lord and who's watching online God that you do a deep work of restoration each and every one of them Lord bring your healing bring your restoration God every chain that's right here that is there because of those broken relationships because of sins or whatever it is God break those chains in Jesus name set us free Lord from those those burdens God in the name of Jesus father I pray for wholeness over every single relationship in this room right now that there will be wholeness in our marriages God and for those who are single Lord that they will be whole personally God and Lord if you want them to be married God send the right person to them Lord in the name of Jesus father we just We just want to lift up our words, uh, our our praises to you, God. And, Lord, we want to proclaim you as king and lord over our lives, over our families, over our relationships, in the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, Christos, the king, the anointed one. Lord, you are the king of our lives. And we declare you to be our king. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody